All right, if you would, uh, open your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. Titus is not one that's often used. It's in the New Testament. If you're using one of the pew or one of the chair Bibles, I believe it's page 998. Um, I could be wrong. It could be 999. I just wanted to fall short of 1,000. So if you would go with me to Titus chapter 2 and uh, just kind of hold your spot there. We've been talking through the last several weeks uh, some of our, our core statements, some of our, our core beliefs, what it is that makes us distinctly us. Uh, we've talked about um, the intentionality of those things. Today we're going to finish that, and we're going to talk about the last one, and that's teaching the next generation. We say in our purpose statement that we want to make disciple-making disciples. Well, in order for that to happen, we've got to go a step further in the process. When I, was, uh, when I was a teenager, uh, I came to Christ when I was 15, and I, was, I had been in First Baptist Church Alvin for a couple of years, and as I came to uh, Saving Faith, God put people in my life to help me understand what that looked like, what it meant to, to be a follower of Christ. Uh, my pastor, my youth ministers, uh, my worship leader, uh, godly deacons, godly people, and, and they spoke into my life because they understood the biblical mandate uh, of helping young people, younger men in the faith, uh, to grow and have an example and have it modeled before them. So as I encountered them, I wanted to learn and grow from them. But I have to say that though I respected them, I can't say that I respected everybody who was in that older generation, much older generation. Uh, I always looked at the older generations in the church in, in kind of the same light. They all sat in the very back because they got there early. Um, and they wanted to be uh, kind of back there. And I, I never really saw them smile. Uh, I never really saw them enjoy worship. In fact, when we would do communion uh, in, in that setting, we would pass the plates and they would come in, in their suits and all well-dressed and very, very somber. And I can distinctly remember them passing the, the elements and, and smiling and going, hey, this is a joyful thing. And they're like, and I, I didn't know how to respond to that. So uh, I had in my mind that those were what I called the frozen chosen. Those who uh, may have known God but were not fervent in their faith. And in my teenage experience, my vast knowledge of all that life contains at 15, 16, 17, and 18 years old, I thought, surely if this is what vibrant faith looks like, they don't have it. And I was right because I was a teenager. (laughs) Is it any wonder that I work with students? Uh, And they were not right. In fact, if they were believers at all, they didn't know how to express it. They only had one kind of music that they liked. They only had, and I didn't understand them. And I was convinced that they didn't understand me. There was was never an intentional rudeness. There was never anything that I was like, wow, you just don't get this. It was never like that. It was just, there were moments that I was less than my best. Let me kind of give you uh, a glimpse into that teenage mind. Uh, One Sunday morning, uh, an older retired gentleman named Claire Stroop came up and and was just greeting me as he had many, many times in the past. And he came up to me and he, he was one of those guys that was really kind but firm. It reminded me a lot of my grandfather. He, he was very giving, he was very loving, but he had this face and this, this, this demeanor that said, not the guy to mess with. So Claire comes up, and on this particular Sunday morning, he goes, 
Well, good morning, young man. How are you? And before I could trap my inner smart aleck, this comment comes out. I'm fine, old man. How are you? He didn't chuckle. In fact, he walked away and I realized I didn't turn the filter on that day. And that was kind of how I handled that. I walked away, didn't think anything of it. But it, it has served to remind me many times since that God had placed him there, not for that day, but for the times when he would speak into my life as an older and godly man. What I regularly failed to recognize as a teenager was that I needed older believers. I needed people to live their faith in front of me, the faith that they had had for decades. I needed to understand what that looked like. I needed a faith that went through trials and tribulations and struggles and marital conflict and family conflict to look at that and say, this is going to last me for a really long time. As a teenager, working through a couple of years of experience instead of a couple of decades, I needed people to model it before me. I needed someone, several someones, to show me how to grow to be a godly man, how to follow Christ fervently. I needed somebody to show me how to pray. I needed somebody to show me the secret Bible code and how to understand when people said stuff like, turn to this and this and this, what they were saying. As a junior high student, I went to a summer camp, and I was sitting in a small group, and the person teaching assumed that everybody knew the Bible. I knew what one was. And they said, turn to John chapter 15. So I start flipping, and I end up in the back, and I'm in 1 John, and I see a, a one, and I didn't understand what that was for, so I figured I was in the right place, and I'm in John, and I'm flipping back and forth, thinking, okay, I think, I see numbers, so maybe, but I never saw 15, and this guy starts talking about abiding in Christ, and having fruit, and all this kind of stuff, and I'm going, I'm not getting that, I'm getting like, different messages here and I didn't understand so I talked to my pastor later and he said oh there's there's a, a way that you read this well, I needed somebody to explain that I needed somebody to show me that blessed book the table of contents <laughs> to take me to places like because <laughs> I didn't even know how to say that and I needed people to show me that I needed somebody to show me how to how to live uh, in purity in faith in living for the king in his kingdom, I needed men in my life who would call sin, sin, and teach me how to live apart from that. I needed people in my life who would be willing to invest because they already had a solid faith. Today I want to look at our last core value, teaching the next generation. In the last service, I uh, spent a lot more time dealing with those who are... Um, more silver on purpose because I think they have a lot to offer and I'm going to show you that in just a minute. Uh, I'm going to talk about six different kinds of people, so don't worry. I'm not going to leave you out. Uh, using our text today, I'm going to talk to older men and you can classify yourself however you like in this, in this uh, category. Uh, I'm going to talk to the older women. I'm going to talk to younger women. I'm going to talk to younger men, I'm going to talk to our pastor, and I'm going to talk to anybody who's seeking to grow in their faith. So I think that covers just about everybody. If that doesn't fit you, uh, I'll be turning to the book of Second Opinions after that and giving you more later. So for now, let's look at Titus. Some of you get that in a minute. Um, let's look at Titus chapter 2. Life application is going to be very close to the top. 
All you need is a little fishnet, and you can just skim right across the top. Very, very strong application. We're also going to move into and see a theological reason behind Titus's admonition, Titus's encouragement here, or Paul's encouragement to Titus. Because there's a strong why, and we've already sung about it. Whether we're repeating the song of the redeemed and saying that we are his, there's a strong reason behind it. Because of what we've been given, we must live this faith out. So let's explore Titus chapter 2 together and look for um, some things that might help us to have a a real, relevant, and growing relationship with Christ. Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 1, says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in the faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the, the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Now let's take this apart because we've got several people that we're talking to here. First off, he's talking to Titus and he says, as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Here's why. In Titus and Timothy and several of Paul's letters, we see this recurring theme that there are those who are creeping in with false teaching. There are those who are creeping in saying, you need Jesus and. Not too different than today, except that the and is something else. In Paul's time, there were many who were, who were Jewish in the faith and who would come and say, your Jesus and is Jesus and circumcision. Jesus and ritual cleansings. Jesus and following these other laws. And all of these things came in together with this idea that in order to be a good Christian, you've got to follow all of these things. Now, there's value in the law, but not in the not in the idea of understanding grace. So our first word doesn't come to anybody in this room but him and me. And that is teach with sound doctrine. Now I'm grateful to say, as I look at this verse and others, that my pastor my friend and my coworker uh, does that and holds tightly to that. That's something we have that not all churches do have. Somebody who will preach all of what it says and not just what sounds good. So brother, keep up the good work. Uh, but it says teach in accord with sound doctrine. What matches what the rest of scripture says. What is true and full in its content. And then he goes right into this next group and he says older men. Now, I realize in saying that word that some will bristle and saying, wait a minute, I'm not that old. Um, If you're older than me, 
and I'm 37, I'm an older man to all of my students. I'm not an old man. It doesn't say old. It says older. So wherever you fit in that category, this is for you. Now, this could be a dad's. This could be to granddads. This could be to uh, men who are trying to, to live out their faith in front of the, the people who are in front of this. This could be elders. This could be a number of people. But notice what I want you to see. It says that they're to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in the faith, in love, and in steadfastness. So this is the picture. Right? That's what it sounds like. But that's, that's not the picture. That's what we've contrived it to be. But that's not what this is saying. The sober-minded thinking and wisely processing what's happening in our world, able to see things for what they are, and helping others who may not be trained in that to see what it looks like. Dignified, self-controlled, putting away the things that are flippant and childish in order to be wise and mature and strong in the faith. Why? Because I have people watching them. If you're a daddy in the room, this applies to you, regardless of how old your children are. that we have to be self-controlled, sound in the faith, in love and in steadfastness because we've got people who are following in our footprints. Little people who are watching us and seeing, does this faith really matter or is this a Sunday thing? Does this faith really matter when we're at home and nobody else is watching? Does this faith really matter in the office or the classroom or wherever God's placed us? Be steadfast in faith, in love. Let it look different. Why? We've got people depending on us. In this church body, we have people who need somebody to walk alongside. In my life, they were godly deacons. They were godly pastors and youth ministers and those kinds of things who simply saw the mandate to walk alongside and help them, to help me grow in my faith. The idea was for this, these older men, they saw someone and said, new believer. Evangelism doesn't stop at making a convert. It starts there. When someone comes to Christ, that's the beginning. The relationship doesn't end there. It's not, hi, meet Jesus, it's nice to know you, I'll see you in the afterlife. It's not that at all. See you in resurrection. Nice to meet you. No, that's the beginning where the relationship starts and the living out of faith of, hey, this is what it looks like day to day to day. This is why we pray. This is, this is why we, we sing songs because that's just odd in some contexts. This is why we read the scripture. This is what value there is in that. Men, we have to do those things because we've got people watching. I'll stop picking on you for a minute. Let's move on to somebody else. Older women. Now, I'm not getting in any kind of conversation on this part. It just says er, okay? It doesn't say old women. It just says older. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women. Now, I'm going to pause right there. I'm going to talk to young women in just a second. But older women, and you can classify yourself however you want in that, Okay? Older women, those who are more mature in the faith, those who are who've been around the block a couple of times and understand the, the young mama. Okay? You fit this. The ones who who have understood, we sing this in the first service, the sweet hour of prayer, and who've gotten back to actually being able to get close to that time. 
And then looking at the young mama who comes in and goes, I just want five minutes. Just five, please. Because young parents, I don't know about y'all, but my kids all have this radar. I get up to pray, and at least two of them are like, Daddy's up. <laughs> Dear Heavenly God, oh, Daddy! You know, and I don't even get that far. So here's where the older women come in and they say, you know, this is a season. This is a time where you're going to be tired. And it's normal. I remember the first couple of years with just Melody. And there were times where Beth was like, I just I want time to read and pray and know God. But, <sighs> and then we started adding to the number. you know, And now we bring a small parade with us. And, and she's still saying, and it's that we're in that time of life. And it's the understanding that came from older women that at that point they began to pour into our lives. And here's, here's where this is valuable in the church. Reverent in their behavior, not again, I am a saint. I'm just bleh. No, 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 that's not what this is describing. Just the opposite, in fact. Someone who understands the full reverence of God and worships with, with his understanding of who he is and then brings along somebody with them. Where the picture is, hey, you're not where I am and that's okay and your vast experience you've got more to learn and I want to walk with you through that. And this is where the older women come in. Now, he doesn't say much past that, but he implies a lot starting in verse 4. He says, not slanders, not slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And here's where it comes into the younger women, but also to the older women. Young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. Now, Catch this. It doesn't really say specifically that this is how the young women are supposed to be. I mean, he implies that, but he implies something else. Older women, the only way they're going to catch this is if they see it modeled in you. Wrap your mind around that. What does that look like? What does it look like for uh, this idea of a young wife loving her husband and her children? to be self-controlled, to be pure. Now, working at home, how many of you, when you saw that the first time, you went, no, hell, hold on, wait a minute. <laughs> and you went, I don't want to work in the house. That's not what it's saying. Okay? If you, <laughs> it's, not, it's not saying don't work outside the home. What it's saying is if you are working at home, be it your home, not being a busybody at other people's homes. Does that make sense? If you're going to be here raising your children and doing those things, which is... A high calling. A high calling. Be at your house, not at the neighbor's house, talking about the other neighbor who did what that, blah, 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 blah. Can I get a witness? Okay? And here's what, and, and it's the idea is be concerned about your home. Be concerned about your family. Older women teach the younger women how to raise godly kids. Older women teach the younger women how to live a godly faith in a world that's telling them not to. Older women teaching their daughters and others how to embrace this idea that modest really is hottest. Cover it up, those kinds of thinkings, because it's not there. Uh, Melody and Beth went shopping yesterday, which is an experience they're welcome to keep. Um, <laughs> because they, they, I don't mind shopping but the first couple of times we did this, I didn't know that there was no pattern. Okay? Where it was... Okay? And this is one store. And I'm thinking, okay, what are we looking for? Well, we need this. 
right, it's right here, right? Oh, but, and then we moved around, which was fine until we entered the stroller era. And it was like, they don't make them for that. So I started standing out in the middle. But they got home yesterday, and Melody was all excited. I got summer clothes, and blah, 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 blah. And I'm thinking, cool. She's much more excited than I am. But she came in with this swimsuit. And she was super excited because it was modest. But it wasn't, it wasn't like swim team modest, you know. And it wasn't the, what do y'all call them? Granny swimsuits? Or the, you know what I'm talking I don't know what else to call them, but I, I, I'm assuming you know what I'm talking about. Okay, she's 13, and I understand this. But she came in, and she was excited because she was able to get a swimsuit that covered everything well and was still cute. And I thought, yeah, that's good stuff. But that came from two women in her life. My beautiful bride and my wonderful mother-in-law. Both of those two people wanting Melody to be cute, and she can't help it because she's Melody, but <laughs> wanting her to be tasteful and covered. And that mama and, gra- and grandmother took that initiative in doing that. That's one little thing. But in the faith, there's so much more to be said. How do you live this out? Older women model it for the younger women. And that could be if you don't consider yourself an older woman and you look down the line and you see teenagers coming behind you or junior high students coming behind you or children coming behind you, the mandate's still the same. You don't have to be perfect at it. That's the idea of sanctification. We're continually growing. But to the older and the younger women, there's this thought that their actions, their life should be something that proves that Christ is in them. Notice what it says at the very end of verse 5. It says that the word of God may not be reviled. So that somebody doesn't look at you living out your Christianity with your Jesus fish on the back of your car going 80 in a 40. (laughs) Going 90 in a school zone. Um, And they go, "Uh uh-huh. There's one of those Christians. You see where this is going? Where our life does indeed demonstrate that we belong to Christ. And we live that out. So younger women that are married, loving their husbands, loving their children, uh, kind, submissive to their own husbands. And then he goes on and he just says one little thing in verse 6. Younger men be self-controlled. Which honestly, if that's all we say to younger men, that covers a lot of ground. Can I get a witness? Okay. Thank you. I heard it. Um, But notice, all it says is younger men be self-controlled. But I think there's more to it. If Titus is who we think he is, he was a young pastor. He was doing life with these people on the island of Crete. And as he was doing that, I think the next word to him in verse 7 would also apply to the young men in the church. But all he says is be self-controlled. Verse 7 says... Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may not may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Young men, this comes in for us too, and this is this idea that if we're sound in speech, if we're living with integrity and dignity, if we're living as those kinds of men, then the next part, when somebody tries to say, well, you know how Christians are, especially... Christian teenage boys. You can live as something that's different. 
I can remember being at, at college in, in ministry classes as a ministry major and starting to hear some of the murmurs about the guys who were ministry majors. Don't date that one. He's too handsy. These are the ministers. These are the guys who are studying to go into the pastorate or, or youth ministry or missionaries, and that was being said of them. This was not what was being said. And people were saying, wow, that's how you are? Well, I don't want any part of that. Christian school. Guys learning to be pastors. So I think the word is timely for all young men. Integrity, dignity, sound speech. But if I were to address this to anybody, I would say it to Mike. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Mike's the youngest pastor I've ever served with. But don't miss this. His wisdom, his depth of insight, and his adherence to the word of God far surpasses many of the pastors I've been with. We are blessed. And the warning remains the same. Show yourself in all respects a model. This could be said to any of us, and it is said to all of us. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of godliness. Why? He talks about bond servants, uh, and then he goes into verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Because this present age doesn't know what that looks like. This is why older men can be addressed, older women can be addressed, younger women, younger men, pastors, teachers, those who are seeking to grow in their faith, verses 11 and 12 are why. We have been given a great hope, we've been given a great joy, we've been given a great salvation, and this grace that has been given to us has given us something to work for. Now, hear this. Grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. Once we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, effort should be applied because of what he's given us. Not to keep our salvation, not to sustain our salvation, but to express it. Grace isn't opposed to us expressing that. Grace is opposed to us trying to earn our way in and get brownie points with God. That doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. So the idea here at this point is, if we're really going to live this out, verse 12 looks very different. Training us to renounce ungodliness worldly passions if we're really going to look at that this is the idea of repentance here's what the world puts before you as this is life go after it renounce those things and live differently in a world for Christ can you still have fun? you bet can you still do the things that God has called you to do and given you passion to do without going on to this side? absolutely Renounce those things and live for Christ. Live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Because those who truly get this concept will have a faith that is winsome. Again, not staunch, boring, unhappy lives. That's not this picture. Self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. So that when... We live for our king and people look at us. They will look at us and glorify not us, but our Father in heaven. Hey, that sounds kind of scriptural, doesn't it? Think through this for just a moment. 
if we're waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works, it will look different. Because we have been loved, we will serve him. Because we are redeemed, we will serve him. In this body, what does that look like? If you count yourself as an older man, do you have a Titus or a Timothy that you are currently pouring into other than your son? Do you have a younger man who is young in the faith that is receiving intentional, direct attention from you to help them in their faith? If you are an older lady, an older woman, do you have a a Ruth in your life who is seeking to be what God wants but not quite sure how to get there? Are you speaking into their lives? If you are growing in your faith and maybe you're young and you're not one of those old people that's talked about here, are you seeking someone in your life who is older in the faith who can help you? Those of you who are in the older generation will be familiar with this. Those of you in the younger generation will see it only as a movie. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. Now, those of you, even even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. Okay? He was, even he was not lone. And that's not what Christianity is meant to be. The way salvation is meant to be lived out is in community with other believers. Those of you who are young parents or, have, or parents of young children, are you spending time talking to people who have kids that are older that are not little hellions? <laughs> There's a difference. <laughs> Just because you have a lot doesn't mean you train them well. Um, if they come in and take the siding off the house, they're not the ones to talk to. But if they are ones that you see, you know, we kind of agree on how our kids are raised up, but their kids are a little older. Go talk to them. Some of the greatest things that happened when I was in high school, growing in the faith, where I met people that, that lived it out. I met a, a deacon named Gary Mooney. Probably the godliest man I've ever met. Uh, this guy showed me what it looked like to live just a humble servant life. I met guys like Larry Burleson, who in my life became my dad for all of my high school career. I remember conversations with him that were just working on something else as he lived his faith out in front of me. I remember conversations with his wife, Karen Burleson, that may or may not be appropriate to share in this context. But let's just say, uh, if I ever got caught uh, having sex with a girl, she had very preventative measures to keep me from ever doing that again. And she shared that at the dinner table one time. Um, I'll just give you this Lorena Bobbitt picture and move on. Okay, That's what she said to me. But it was the idea of you're going to live a pure life as a believer or you're not doing it right. Then God introduced me to Beth's dad. And he's my hero in the faith. And he showed me how to live as a godly daddy. He showed me how to, how to handle my children in a way that glorifies God. How to, how to speak to um, his daughter, my wife, who is very much like his wife, uh, in ways that glorify God. And I want to ask you, 
Who's in your life? Who's in your life other than your children that you are pouring into? Who's in your life that is pouring into you? The picture here is one of community. And we're really going to be a group of people who desires to disciple disciple makers. It's got to be done in relationship. This doesn't talk about perfection. It talks about striving after holiness. Now, there are other texts that talk about perfection. This one, fortunately, is not one of them. The example that we have in front of us is one of pursuing Christ and bringing people along for the ride. We've been given a great salvation. We cannot keep it to ourselves. We've been given a great gift. We cannot keep it to ourselves. So here's my challenge. If you don't have somebody, begin praying this week. Lord, who do you want me to pour into? And Lord, who is it that you would have me seek wise counsel from who will pour into me? And then be open to whatever he leads you to do. It may be serving with children or students. Maybe something you can't even wrap your mind around yet. Be ready because of what you've been given to follow our great King and disciple others. Let's pray together.